Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. Uh, I met Brother Tim LaFleur March 16th, 2004 to be exact. And the reason I know that date is I met Candy, my wife, the day before. So I met two people who would be very influential (laughs) in my life within two days. And uh, Brother Tim was looking to take someone to Glorietta, New Mexico for the summer that year. He was leading a high point camp. If you guys are familiar, there's a camp uh, center in Glorietta where all of these summer camps will come. And there's a staff of about, about what, 120 Brother Tim, 130? 135. 135 to be exact. Not to be exact. Not to be exact, but 135 (laughs) students. And uh, Brother Tim would take a a guy to pastor the guys and a girl to kind of lead and shepherd the girls. And uh, he was looking for a guy that year. And uh, Tony Marita actually said, I got a guy. Uh, He's a new Christian. His nickname is Ignorance on Fire. (laughs) Which was true. I mean, I knew a lot about Jesus. I mean, I, I didn't know a lot. That may or may not have been true. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know a lot about Jesus back then, but boy, I was passionate about the little I knew. And uh, Tim brings me to Nickel State, and I preached a sermon. I still remember a recipe. You For remember? revival. For revival. He remembered. <laughs> there it was. And uh, Tim and I hit it off. And he literally took me to Glorietta and like two college buddies for three months, two and a half months, we just lived life together. And he invested in me. Uh, He corrected my faulty theology, which I had a ton of questions. But it was literally all day, all night disciple making. It was a season of my life. He and I would never be able to get back now. But boy, it was a rich time. And then uh, Brother Tim referred me to pastor one of my first churches, uh, my first church. And now he is on staff. And so I have the privilege of serving together at Long Hollow. He's our uh, equipping pastor. And so he is training and equipping men for ministry, uh, training and equipping people to serve in their workplaces, their jobs, but more importantly, really just mobilizing and ministering to our people in the church as well. So So, uh, just as as a note, we affectionately refer to Brother Tim as Bro T. So if we say that, that's who we're talking about. Or? Or? Bishop of the Bayou. Bishop of the Bayou, Bayou. right. He used Uh, to be on the Bayou for you. (laughs) B-O-T-B. Well, I remember the first time I met Robbie. Uh, Robbie was coming to the Nichols BCM. Uh, T-Bone had referred me. Tony Marita had referred Robbie. And so I connected with him over phone and invited him to come preach to our students. And when he walked in... I'm thinking to myself, wow, is this the guest speaker or professional athlete? (laughs) You know, he had to bend over to get through the door. And, of course, in South Louisiana, most of us Cajun people are are pretty uh, short. And so, uh, you know, this giant of a man comes in. We think he's a professional football player. He ends up being our guest speaker Mm. and uh, did a marvelous job that night. Our students loved him, gravitated toward him. And then I began to challenge him that night. We went to eat at the Western Sizzling of all places. Oh, yeah, the Sizz. And uh, I don't recall if he got the biggest one you got, but he could have eaten it. Second to biggest. Uh, the Sizz. Yeah. I love that. And so uh, we're at the Sizz and, and just, just had a great time and, and, uh, and talked. And I began to challenge him about what it might look like okay. to come to Glorietta and, and invest in students. And so... Uh, my secret weapon was a guy back at seminary who got mm-hmm. to meet with Robbie, because Robbie had some other opportunities. Uh, yeah. 
that summer, but I'm thankful that he came and and we had a great time, as he said, yeah. and it was it was just amazing. So when when we think back to that point, what year was that? Oh four. Oh four. So in oh four, this is before Replicate had begun, and really the beginning of Pastor Robbie's ministry. Um, what would you say, Brother Tim, at that point? was the state of discipleship as you, as you were uh, witnessing it um, in 2004? On the college campus, uh, several of us were making disciples, mm-hmm. but in the local church, yeah. uh, people didn't even talk about discipleship. You could count on one hand the guys wow. in the state that were actively making disciples in the local church. And it's a tragedy because uh, the one thing the Lord Jesus authorized us to do as believers, make disciples, the primary purpose of the local church, we weren't doing. We bought into programs and the way it's always been done. And rather than going back to Jesus' model, uh, working with the 70, working with the 12, working with the inner circle, uh, we, we kind of tossed all that and had a better idea. And you see what shape we're in. And Pan- are in. Apparently that better idea was not, in fact, better. Well, no, let's, I mean, think of those listening. I mean, how many people, what, 14 years ago, were talking about discipleship? When I went to uh, Brainerd Baptist Church, I was there a couple weeks. A uh, lady came up to me after one of the services, sweet older lady, 68 years old, I think, 65 she said, you've been talking about discipleship for the past few weeks. She said, I have to be honest with you. You are the first pastor to ever mention the term. Wow. I've never even heard the term before. Now, it wasn't her fault. Now, yeah. she heard evangelism. She heard Sunday school. She heard outreach. She heard share the gospel, which are all great things. We need all those things. But as far as investing in someone after the point of salvation, growing them into a maturing believer, and then encouraging them to replicate the process, that was a foreign concept. Now, think about those listening. Ha- has that been the case for you? Because a lot of you would say, I hadn't heard of it either, really, 10 years ago. Well, I think, you know, so that's kind of how you guys connected. That's kind of the state in 2004. Replicate kind of began around 2008. Again, it's been 10 years. One of the things that I think has been a challenge for the church is discipleship at some point in the history of, of the modern church anyway seems to have been something that is so inwardly focused in the minds of most people that they saw it as a hindrance to outreach, to evangelism. And so it almost seems like these two camps had formed, uh, discipleship camp, inward focus, just want to learn more, don't want to reach out. Evangelism, we're all about reaching those who are lost, and Jesus is going to take care of them once they get saved, and we're good. So, you know, in that context, what do you think have been some of the biggest reasons, challenges, uh, consequences of disciple-making uh, and discipleship, specifically the word discipleship and what we look at as discipleship, uh, why why do you think it has been uh, avoided or kind of set on a back burner at best at most churches recently? Well, let me just say this. Evangelism that doesn't lead to discipleship is not biblical evangelism. 
And discipleship that doesn't lead people to evangelize is not biblical discipleship. So I think there's this false dichotomy here where it's one or the other, but it's a both and. You have to have both. You have to have both evangelism and discipleship. Because here's the reality. If you only have an evangelistic church and you're trying to reach people outwardly focused at the expense of investing in those within, then you run the risk of growing a church a mile wide and an inch deep. And we all know churches like that. Maybe you're listening. You're saying, that's my church. Surface level people, consumerism, plaguing my church. But the flip side is, if you only focus on discipleship and not evangelism, you run the risk of growing a church an inch wide and a mile deep. Right. So you have a lot of people who are spiritually deep, but they don't do anything. So you know, in a sense, you create a monastery, yes. <laughs> right? You have a bunch of guys who can pray and quote scripture, but as far as reaching the, the whole world's going to hell outside the church, but internally, man, we're strong in the faith. Well, great, yeah. but that's not what Jesus did, sure. right? That's why we talk in terms of disciple making. Mm, so when we think about disciple making, we're talking about intentionally entering into a person's life to help them know what it means to know and follow Jesus. Right. And then, uh, that's the evangelism piece, but then the discipleship piece is we want to teach them to obey his commands. Mm -hmm. And so we believe, as Robbie said many times, and as we teach in our blueprints and cohorts and all the things that we do, that, that disciple-making is this umbrella term mm -hmm. that involves inviting and investing. Yeah. So you invite people to come into a relationship with Jesus and know what it means to truly follow him. And then you invest in their lives mm -hmm. to help them to grow to the place where they're being obedient yes. to his commands as they follow him. So, you know, he, he has a good point. This is how, this is where we dropped the ball in the great commission. You made a great point. It's in the area of obedience. Jesus didn't say, as we wrongly assume, teach them all that I've commanded you in Matthew 28, 19. He says, teach them to observe, obey all that I've commanded you. And you, know, you and I both know you cannot do that just from preaching alone. Preaching is a part of discipleship. It's the centerpiece. It's not the only piece. Outside of an accountable group of men with men, women with women, small group, three to five men, three to five women, outside of that, how are you holding people accountable to obey the words of God and to live out the words and, and to wrestle with what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church. What does it mean to share your faith with love? What does it mean when your children stray from the Lord? And, and, and how do I respond to that? So we believe this discipling relationship, Tim and I had the privilege to be in years ago, and now we're in that with others. That's where you get that. So the question we started this uh, podcast with was, What's changed? 2008 to now. Brother Tim, you've been to some conferences. You've been to, you know, some Baptist convention, um, breakouts, teaching sessions. You've been able to talk to people over the course of these last 10 years. What have you observed um, in that time that's changed? Well, several years ago, I decided, took it upon myself to have this uh, informal survey. And we had a booth and we were beginning our time. I think growing up first came out. And we're challenging people to make disciples in the local church. And as pastor after pastor came by the booth, I asked them a simple question. Do you have a comprehensive strategy for making disciples in your church? Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I I talked to fifty or a hundred pastors, wow. uh, just wow. across the board, small churches, large churches, uh, churches with with uh, multi-site folks who had large staffs and uh, single staff pastors. Yeah, and they said, you know what? Uh, we really don't have a strategy to make disciples. And they, they kind of looked at me crossways almost for asking the question. One pastor in a large church, if I named the pastor, uh, you'd recognize the name, said, we don't have a strategy. I, I know that, I'm just kidding. No, but we, no, no, we've no, no, done no, all the research. The uh, and, uh, and, and so now, because of, of replicating other ministries, mm-hmm. We uh, things have changed. So when you ask people that same question, in yeah. fact, uh, this past couple of days at the text-driven preaching conference here at Southwestern, mm-hmm. we asked several pastors that, yes. and many of them have a process, have a pathway yeah. to make disciples in their church, and uh, it's been encouraging to see a shift, if you will. Mm-hmm. And churches take, I think it's because of the shape we're in. And I think it's because of what's going on. Pastors really know that they need to take this idea of disciple making very seriously. Something hasn't been working. And now they kind of are seeing that. Well, and here's the thing. We believe we have a pathway that works in the church. We've tried it in different contexts. Small churches medium-sized churches, large churches, and we believe it's a pathway that works because it's something we got from Jesus. But what's encouraging is that we're talking to people, and they may not all be using our pathway or process, Mm -hmm. but they have a process. And I think that's most encouraging to me because it shows us that people are thinking, as Tim said, okay, the days in which you could open your church doors preach a solid biblical message, have good music, and people would come, those days are over. We know that. read an article this morning about why uh, church folk aren't giving at the level they used to give two years before. And one of the reasons, uh, Tom Rayner wrote this article, one of the reasons is because church attendance has declined. It's declined uh, across the board in, in churches. And so we see fewer people come into church as often as they used to come. Yeah. So what you have now is you have pastors realizing, okay, that bag of tricks or, and not negatively, but, but the, the horse and pony show we used to do where I do, do this and I could run this playbook, it's not working as it used to work. So they're being forced to say, we've got to have a spiritual process to grow people deep. And here's why. Because pastors, you can't do all the ministry. If you're, and I know I pastored a church of 60 something people. I know that in that context, you're changing the light bulbs and putting the toilet paper out and sweeping. I've done those. I've had people come up to me before I was going to preach. The toilet's clogged in stall three in the back. I'm like, I'm going to preach, brother. We can get to that after. Yeah. You know? like, so I know that context. Right. But, but what I'm saying is, if you're doing all the ministry in your church, that is not what Paul told the church at Ephesus to do as what is success or effectiveness. He said, and I believe he's talking to Timothy, although he's talking to others. Timothy, here's the deal. The apostles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, the the, the leaders should equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So here's the adage. If you're executing all the ministry yourself, 
That is not what he's saying. We need to be equipping the saints to do the work of ministry, wow. and that's effective. And ministry. that's a refreshing thought to very busy and and uh, you know pastors out there who are kind of underneath it all. What, one of the things I want to ask real quick before we get to the end of this podcast, you've talked a little bit about how discipleship has changed. I want to know personally how your discipleship has changed in the sense that uh, what everybody wants to know. What did you mess up with early on discipleship? <laughs> I want to hear about that guy who didn't make the cut um, in the midst of, of you <laughs> walking with some folks. Because a lot of times people listen to us talk about discipleship. We've been doing it a long time. Brother Tim's been doing it 40 plus years. Okay, so the, the history is there. And so it can seem like we got it all together. It can seem like everything is just, man, there are no problems whatsoever. Obviously, there's people, so it's messy. Um, so what has changed individually with you? And, and what I mean by that is, when, when did you, were you in a discipleship scenario where it was like, wow, this is just not uh, what I had hoped it had been? Um, really, I just want to laugh at you, Brother Tim. Tell me. Tell me your story. <laughs> well, there's a lot, there's a lot to laugh at. Um, one of the things I, I think that uh, the Lord spoke to me about, I guess it was about 20 years ago, was that although I had spent all my ministry making disciples, I really didn't focus on the replicate piece of making disciples the way I should. Uh, So I was content to say I was a a decent disciple maker and, and I had a lot of fruit, but I wasn't challenging the folks that I was investing in mm. to go and do the same. Mm. And when I did that, that was a game changer. Mm. And when you think about guys that you've discipled personally mm-hmm. and, and in, in the context of small groups yeah. and them going on to do ministry, the impact that they can have, whether they be a layman in the church, yeah. uh, a good supportive a church member, deacon, perhaps they're a pastor on staff. Yeah. I've got missionaries on three different continents. And think about the impact. Wow. You can change the world from right where you live mm. if if people will take mm. what's been invested in them yeah. and go and share it with somebody else. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just amazing. And my life's been enriched. Yeah. Uh, and the greatest relationships I have with people have been people that I've come into this discipleship relationship with. Well, and on the flip side of that, which that's a legacy of 40 plus years of investing, uh, my first discipleship group just a few years ago, you know, intentionally taking some guys, mm-hmm. uh, got a couple guys on staff at another church. I mean, these are staff members of the church. They're bought into the process. They want to know how we do it. They want to be disciples so they can make disciples. They call me up. We meet. We're, they are all in. I mean, again, staff members, executive staff member, student pastor, let's do this. So we meet. We walk through that initial meeting process. Here's what we're agreeing to. Here's what we're going to I mean, it was going to be awesome. Awesome first meeting. Never met again. Oh. They never showed up. <laughs> never came back. Uh, and so, man, there are some failures out there that can happen. There's some issues. Uh, but but the, the, the point I want to make with that is, um, it's not always going to be, hey, I found these three people, four people, five people. And from day one, it just blew up. They all, all five went and found their three to five. And now, you know, I've got uh, this legacy. But at some point, it will happen. 
Um, not that that's your goal. Your goal isn't about your legacy. It's about the legacy of Christ and his power and his impact in your life and the lives of others and the message of the gospel. But uh, hang in there is probably what I'm, I'm trying to get yeah. at. Uh, well, I would say, too, my, my I was telling a guy this, two, two, two things I would say. The way I've grown, I think, personally from being around Gus and Tim and others just taught you as well, talking through this process. When I first started doing discipleship, it was transfer of information. So I was trying to get as much seminary style, uh, systematic theological information in their mind, kind of a kind of a dump, like a like a download from a hard drive. <laughs> and what I realized is, and, and I loved it. And I went through Wayne Grudem's big blue book. I mean, we talked about the wow. finer tenets of the communicable qualities of God and the incommunicable. Yeah. You lost <laughs> me right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I lost my group too, but I loved it. I mean, I loved it. But here's what I realized, as Tim said. It's not just how much information I can transfer. It's what they do with the information. None of that was replicatable. They would get to the end of the year and say, man, I just feel like I've been through seminary, but I could never do that with anyone else. And I started to realize Jesus rarely wrestled with those kind of ideas. He never did it with his disciples. Like Jesus is not wrestling with the finer tenets of eschatology or even soteriology or even justification. He's just teaching them basic truths and holding them accountable. In fact, one of the things Chris and I are working on a book, one of the things I realize is that Jesus taught seven truths throughout his ministry. He taught these seven truths over and over and over. Dependence on the Father, communication with the Father. I mean, just these truths over and over, different contexts, different uh, avenues. The second thing I will tell you is sometimes, like you, Chris, the group doesn't make it. I remember one of the groups I had years ago. This was one of the most promising groups I had. Five guys and myself, we started out. The group didn't last two months because three of them either left or I had to ask them to leave the group and the whole thing disbanded. And you would say, man, did you do anything? You, did, you, did you do the textbook way of starting a group, leading a group, holding them accountable, signing a covenant? I did it all. But it was either stage of life, it was either consistent sin, or it was transition and job that broke up the group. Now, what I did is I took the two guys who could be in the group, and I started a new group. So just to let you know, it's messy. And the reason it's messy is because people's lives are messy. I mean, think about your own life. Your life is a mess, if you're listening. And the reason I know your life is a mess is because my life is a mess, right, at times. So, and you put all that together in a group and you have one big glorious mess for the gospel. But here's the cool thing. It's worth it. There's no greater joy than to see a man you've invested in or a woman, if you're a woman, go on and do great things for God. Whether it's surrender to ministry, whether it's go on their first mission trip, or whether it's share the gospel for the first time and seeing the joy and that I'm telling you, if you don't have this in your life, you are missing out on a, on a great blessing. Well, and, and to conclude here as our time is up, uh, just to quote uh, a pastor, Whit Lewis, who is in our cohort. I was thinking the same uh, thing. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, got, he spoke recently at a training that we did, and it was a blessing to hear from him and the power of what's going on in his church. Uh, but he can, his, his little uh, sermonette was entitled, Don't Do It. And he was talking about discipleship, and at first I thought, wow, maybe we went wrong with Wit. You know, what did he do? Tell him what he did. He's telling everyone not to do it. But, but what he was saying is uh, when it comes to discipleship, do not do it 
unless you're ready to really see impact in the lives of your people and step into the messiness to get below the surface of your church and to really engage with the folks that God has entrusted to the ministry there. And so it was just a strong testimony. And again, I think it shows us how far disciple making has come. Um, that that pastors are even willing to step into it to say uh, it's a little bit more difficult than here's a new program, somebody run it, we'll see you next Sunday. But actually engaging with his people, walking with his people, personally making disciples, investing in men who will in turn invest in men, and uh, surprise, surprise, do what Jesus told us to do all along, right? Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.